somewhere along the line, the approach of focus on process, emphasize that outcomes will take care of themselves. They can't be the sole important thing. That became a coaching trend, but I don't think it's been around long enough to bleed into how parents act in the stands or how youth coaches can, can sometimes act. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. My guest today is the head baseball coach from the University of Tennessee Volunteers, Tony Vitello. Named the Volunteers head coach in 2017, Coach Vitello has helped turn the Tennessee baseball program into a national powerhouse, leading the team to the 2021 College World Series and the 2022 SEC Tournament and Regional Championships. Coach Vitello was also named the 2021 National Coach of the Year. Coach and I dive into how to use the scoreboard as a positive tool in youth sports, mental health, and how parents can help or hurt the recruiting process. Man, freaking fired up. I, I got another awesome guest. We might be related. I don't know. We're, we're definitely Italians. <laughs> we're definitely yeah. Italians. We, uh, I don't speak to too many paisans, as I like to call them, but um, man, I'm pumped to have him. He's a stud, coaches a stud program in the, uh, in the SEC, head baseball coach, University of Tennessee, the volunteers, coach Tony Vitello. Coach, thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me and uh, looking forward to chatting a little bit. For sure. And we're talking youth sports. We're talking, you know, athletic development. And where I like to start is in today's, you know, era of youth sports, a $20 billion industry, and it's bigger than the NFL. It's it's crazy. But it seems like we don't take our kids to just go play soccer at five anymore or whatever, baseball, whatever the sport is. We're doing it with intent. And the intent is like this is step one to becoming a pro athlete or getting a D1 scholarship. And if you can kick a ball or juggle it or swing the bat fairly well, we got to specialize in year round and so I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on this whole phenomenon of early sports specialization versus kids, you know, playing a multitude or a variety of sports? Yeah, I mean, just the way you paint the picture there kind of makes me think of what we always tell our players is, you know, you got to have a plan in place. If you, you know, have practice and a test and a paper due and all that, you got to have a plan in place in order to have success in a lot of different situations. So I think it's good to have a plan and an outlook for parents that want to put their child in a good position to succeed at what they maybe appear to be good at. Um, but I think this may be the one instance where having a plan to uh, wealth put out is a little dangerous. Kids need to be kids. They need to interact with uh, kids their age and kind of have teammates in different sports that they get along with. And it's there's kind of a social aspect, not just an athletic impact there. But as you get older and you start using different muscles and it actually gets competitive, um, I'm a big believer, as many coaches are, it's better to compete than to practice, uh, which is what you're doing if you're just playing one sport all year long. And then, you know, the other thing is, again, using different muscles. You mentioned soccer so good for footwork. That may actually be a good, you know, basis for someone who's an infielder or, you know, in basketball, you know, the plyometrics of being explosive. Um, those are kind of my initial thoughts on that topic. And it's interesting you bring up the word compete because it always seems to go there. And when I talk to the college coaches, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what sport it is. It seems like there's this element of competition, competitiveness that comes out. And I always refer to, you know, Coach Tracy Smith said to me, Nick, I'd rather have a kid that I have signed to come here or I'm recruiting standing on a free throw line, you know, shooting a one and one in the wintertime for his high school than, you know, standing in a batting cage because that competitive moment that that's going to translate over to the baseball field. Can you talk a little bit about that compete piece, that compete factor? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, there's right now there's guys 
and we started scrimmages and uh there's some guys that were our best guys in bp and using the yacker tech or Trackman numbers um some of those guys were ultra confident in how the ball is coming off their bat and now all of a sudden they're starting to have bad body language or doubt themselves or question their swing because we've started the scrimmage season. And inevitably what starts, you know, happening to all hitters is you get out more than you get a hit. And um, so that competitive piece and how you deal with struggles and how you try and figure things out as a competitor and then just competing in general. I mean, jumping in the box and facing 92 or whatever it might be, not only do you have to overcome fear, but there's a lot of other uh, components to competitiveness there. And, um, so I, I think, you know, what other coaches have said is right in line with what I feel. I mean, competing on a Friday night in football, controlling your adrenaline, those are lessons and, and things that are going to carry over into what's most important, and that's a competitive game for us if it's the athlete we're going to coach. When it comes to youth sports, there's almost like this debate, you know, and I kind of want to hear your thoughts. It's like some people argue that the scoreboard shouldn't be turned on at all until a certain age. Because quite frankly, I've heard people say it's because parents are overzealous. Old adults, you know, they get crazy and I sit here, and, <laughs> and which they do, right, at times, you know. I mean, I'm at my kid's wrestling tournament right now. I can get excited. I try to, you know, dial it back quite a bit. But my point is I'm a big believer that first of all i've coached my kids basketball team when he was five the kids are keeping score whether we are or not i mean they're counting so i i look at it like why can't we teach to that do you think you could teach kids to compete to win using the scoreboard as a tool at the youth level without the emphasis on win at all costs you think there's a difference and if you don't mind elaborating yeah i do think that you know the score is a byproduct of doing things well and if kids are working harder they're competing well together or if a kid's got a skill it's got to be measured. I mean, someone out there that's an adult that's trying to lose weight, um, they got to weigh themselves in to, to measure the numbers and count their calories. And so if you don't have a measuring stick, I think it throws everything for a loop a little bit. But like everything in this world, if that scoreboard is abused or used in the wrong way, it's going to become harmful. So the people you put in position to actually keep the scorebook or turn on the scoreboard or coach the kids is probably the more important thing. And, um, you know, when you just kind of throw a, a na- I mean, my buddies do it, so I'm not bad-mouthing, but a neighborhood group of dads, you might have some guys that just, their heart's in the right place, but they don't know how to execute it because, it, you know, they're actually an insurance salesman or whatever it is. But if you were to let, you know, Rick Barnes or Coach Fulmer or somebody actually run one of these teams, they've learned throughout their career how to use that as a tool. The scoreboard, kind of like you're alluding to, and I think the way you do that is, you know, to focus on the process over the outcome, which is extremely cliche now because of guys like Nick Saban emphasizing it. But when John Wooden was coaching, you know, not that long ago, it was a very unique outlook on things. I don't think it was commonplace. And somewhere along the line, the approach of focus on process, emphasize that outcomes will take care of themselves. Um, They can't be the sole important thing. That became a coaching trend, but I don't think it's been around long enough to bleed into how parents act in the stands or how youth coaches can can sometimes act and i think that's the important component for kids to be rewarded for how they go about things as opposed to what they do or when they score or what medal they earn 
brings up the word adversity. We kind of touched on it earlier, and, and I'm a big believer. Like, my son, he just wrestled. He just lost. He won his first match, lost. And wrestling's one of those sports, man. I, I, I was never in a million—I never wrestled a day in my life. I'm glad I didn't. I'm not tough enough. It's a different animal, man. That, but, <laughs> but it teaches, like, these lessons. And you can—I messed up here. I messed up. But there's—it's one-on-one. You can't blame the coach for batting order. You can't blame the umpire, the pitch, and whatever it is. It's, it's mano-a-mano. A lot of accountability. I feel like nowadays, at times, I'm going to pick on travel base ball here where everyone thinks that if they don't it's this fear of missing out coach vitello won't see my kid if he's not starting and if i'm on this travel team and i'm not my kid's not starting i gotta start another one move to another one move to another one forget about sitting the bench and earning my spot maybe the next year and using that as a tool like we saw in jordan when he when he didn't make the varsity as a sophomore and came back his mom told him to toughen up or whatever how important is adversity do you think we're missing the boat there in this culture it's adversity is everything, and yeah, I don't, I don't think there's enough of it. I, I think the tendency is you want your kids to feel good these days. Um, there, there's a, with social media, there's a lot of things out there that can bring people down. So it's almost like avoid anything that you know is controversial or really, you know, adverse. You know, to kind of stay with the topic and um, and protecting or shielding your your child because you love them, you feel like you're helping them, but in the end. What you got there with your son today, a loss is going to help him learn and he's going to grow from that. I mean, scar tissue, you know, builds up in a thrower's arm and actually ends up protecting them from injury, you know, whether it's right-handed or left-handed dude. And, you know, that's, I don't know if it's a great analogy, but somewhat of a parallel to when kids build up scar tissue because, you know, they got beat on the mat or, you know, maybe they didn't, they realized they didn't prepare well enough before an event. And that's why their performance wasn't quite what it could have been. They learn from it and they adjust. And those are valuable, valuable lessons. But if the sun always has to be shining and you always get ice cream after the game, uh, I don't think those lessons get learned at a very, very important stage of their life. And then they get to college and it's like, wait a minute, uh, you know, I just got into SEC conference play and I can't get a hit. I always get a hit. Now I'm not playing. And where's all this adversity coming from and how do I handle it? Because it's all new to me, you know. What are things from your experience or that you see, like what, any attributes you could talk about from any players that stand out? Nothing, you don't have to get in detail, but, you know, maybe something that they experience, whether it was playing another sport that helps them to push through that. Let's say you get into conference play and you're, you're not performing well, you're a freshman. What are some things that these kids from your experience can draw back on in their earlier days that help them push through that? Yeah, well, I hate to backtrack, but something you hit on was parents feel like they're missing out if, yeah. you know, Tennessee's their dream school or Oregon's their dream school and the coach walks by their game and they don't have to be in the game and now they hate the coach and we got to go play for a new team. Um, you can control what you can control and that's for everything, wrestling, business world. And, you know, I, I actually uh, helped sign or commit a kid named Rob Zestresny. And the first time I ever saw Rob, it's hard to say his last name, but he was a pitcher, not in the game, but he was playing catch, warming up the left fielder. And I was down the line and I saw him playing catch and good looking athlete, liked the way his arm worked. I didn't even know who the guy was, but Dankshire made it a point to talk to the coach about him. And then we ended up seeing him pitch. And Rob was a first rounder and pitched in the big leagues. Um, so that's how it all started with his recruiting process. So it's a little bit of an extreme story, but I think it's so crucial for, again, parents and the kids to understand they don't have control over, again, maybe Oregon is their favorite school. Well, the coaches there are human beings. What if they just mess up and they, they don't evaluate well that particular day? And so the, the player doesn't have any control over that, and the parent definitely doesn't. 
Um, so, so hopefully that attaches itself to a point you brought up earlier. And then, you know, as far as players handling adversity, the one thing that I've learned in trying to get into this mental game, and of course, we've outsourced guys like a lot of other people, is you have to have self-awareness uh, before anything. You know, if you don't know what's going on, you're panicking or you're breathe- you're not breathing when you're on the mound, when there's runners on. If you don't have self-awareness or a coach that points it out to you and then you accept it, then you can't move on to all those steps that are, you know, you could look up YouTubes, you could read books. There's so many things on the mental game now. Um, but step one to me is kind of pointing out the issue. It reminds me of Tommy Boy when he says sure. step one's pointing out the problem when he stinks in the elevator, you know. Yeah. But, um, that, that's, that's kind of stage one for me, as simple as it is. When we return, Coach Vitello and I discuss the importance of adversity and why mental health is something we should all be discussing. Welcome back to the Reform Sports Project podcast. Where Coach Vitello and I left off, we were about to dig further into mental health and how parents can either help or hurt during the recruiting process. So do you think, and you bring up the mental game, and you know, you hear athletes like Kevin Love, and you hear other athletes that are coming out talking about mental health, and Dak Prescott talking about depression. It seems to be more mainstream now, which is a great thing. What are things that you're doing? What are, what are you seeing in that, in that realm? Yeah, well, throw COVID in there, sure. and that's made it worse. I've, uh, you know, um, probably met with guys more this year so far than I have in an entire, you know, 12-month calendar year with guys just not feeling right or I just kind of this is weird or you know I regret not taking care of my body during quarantine just little things that involve the virus that's kind of wreaked havoc on everything um but again you get into that social media deal too and these kids are dealing with things that you and I didn't have to deal with and the mental health thing has to be talked about and I think guys like Dak Prescott you know as he was by most needs to be applauded because the more people become vulnerable and are given a platform or just an environment where they're welcome to share those thoughts, the better. Because it, it kind of goes back to, I accidentally come full circle to my point, you have to have self-awareness. A lot of people in the old days, you got to bury that down. You know, if you play for the Packers, sure. you, know, you can't go get a drink and you can't say you're hurt and you can't say, you know, you're down in the dumps because your wife and you argued or whatever. Um, you got to just kind of man up or whatever it is and and that doesn't work anymore and it maybe didn't work back then either but that that platform has got to be available and conversations have got to be had and then it gets even more complicated from there but it'll turn into an absolute tornado of a mess if step one is not taking place the word accountability comes up a lot in these conversations and not to pick on parents but it's just the culture i mean no one wants to hold their kid to the fire it's almost like you know i watch i'm here at this wrestling tournament i don't see it as much here but you know parents are carrying their kids bags you know hey did you make sure you eat and i'm guilty of that stuff too like i have to separate myself and go wait a minute you're 15 16 years old man you gotta take some accountability can you see on the recruiting trail kids that may have been maybe coddled a little bit more versus those that maybe were held accountable for their actions? Yeah, a tremendous difference. And we all love the parent that you can kind of tell, you know, demands the, the kid to be respectful or, or whatever it might be. It reminds me of reading Bobby Knight's book. He went and did an in-home visit. And obviously if he's doing an in-home visit, the kid's a good player. And the kid was disrespectful to his mom. So he literally packed his stuff up and left. And nowadays, 
I, I agree with you. There, there's some blame on the parents, but I think the, the parents deserve a little bit of reprieve in this argument. I think now kids challenge authority more than they ever did. And, you know, that, that's been a good thing in, in, in history, especially in America. But I kind of think it's boiled over to a point where, you know, parents don't want to be, you know, too hard on their kids because their kids are rebel. And, um, you, you know, again, that's a long story, too, going Ooh. from there. But I, I think so many kids are combative with their parents. The parents don't want to step on their toes. And it becomes this deal where well, let's not hurt anybody's feelings. Whereas back in the day. I know Sinbad, the comedian's got a good bit. You know, he's always talking about family in his comedy. It's like, not that long ago, not only did you do whatever your parents said, but you did whatever the neighbor's parents said, whatever your teacher said. And, and now it's always questioning authority. And, you know, if a kid gets in trouble at school, a lot of times, instead of the parent addressing it with the kid, they get mad at the teacher, that the teacher was too hard on the kid. Such a great segue. How much of an impact does the family have the the par- of the child you recruit the kid you're recruiting their background like their parents their guardians whomever can they play a role in the recruiting process with you yeah no they can and i know some i mean one of the best pitchers i ever coached we got him because his dream school the head coach there who's was tremendously successful didn't want anything to do with the dad and um you know <laughs> it, it, it worked out in our favor but there's a lot of things that turn coaches off, and there's so many good players out there these days. Some of them just don't want to mess with it. And then, you know, some of them literally, I hate to break it down this in depth, but literally we may offer, I'm not saying we because I can't think of an example, but you might offer a kid a lower scholarship because, well, we like him, but we're getting this baggage with the family, uh, perceived baggage. So let's just kind of throw something out there and see if it sticks. I mean, Again, extreme example, but I think things like that have happened. Um, so I think it's important for parents to educate themselves on, you know, just etiquette during visits at a game, whatever it might be. I mean, back in the day, I used to just wear a Hawaiian shirt and would show up to the game. And I was kind of a young punk that got a job earlier than I should have. And uh, a lot of people didn't know who I was. And you'd be amazed at some of the things I heard parents say because I was just I just looked like a guy that was sitting there next to him, not a coach, you know. Unbelievable. Tell me this, and this is another topic that I love to bring up. I have a background. I played for Coach Fox, right? Just retired from Carolina. His last year at North Carolina Wesleyan was my freshman year there. Uh, I was fortunate to play for him. And Scott Forbes, it was his first year as a grad assistant. He had just got done playing. I had a great experience in North Carolina Wesleyan. We were part of, I went to two World Series, three regionals, won a national title, and, you know, have great relationships with those guys to this day. And there's a D1 or bus mentality, you know, and, and now it's like D1, it's for, first forget about D3. D3 is like borderline, at least in some kids' eyes, like borderline intramural. And I'm like, I played with guys at D3 who made it to the big leagues, like had careers. Right. So I feel like there's a lot of great programs at D2, D3, NAI, JUCO, and I feel like, I don't know. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the differences in division? And there's even a big difference between Power 5 and like mid-majors, you know, right? So do you mind just right. talking a little bit about that? Because people want to figure this out. Right. Well, I actually played in an NAI college, and then uh, I went to a junior college, and then I played at a Division One school, Power 5 school. So I kind of saw it all. And really the big difference, it's good baseball everywhere, especially if you're surrounded by good people, you know, good coaches, academic coordinator. Um, it's a campus you like. 
And it, it, it's baseball. And looking back on it, I may have done some things differently to make sure I had a better chance to be on the field because for a majority of baseball players, they don't realize it at the time, but the three, four, five years you're in college, that's a very small window of your life that you'll never get back that you get to play. So why not put yourself in a position to be happy as a person and a player as opposed to what you think will make other people happier by you tweeting out, oh, Tennessee's a way cooler school than, you know, me going to, um, you know, a Division three school, as you mentioned, or whatever it might be. The first school I went to was Spring Hill. But, you know, in the end, it's about what, what brings you peace of mind and what makes you happy as well as your family as opposed to this label and everyone wants to tweet out or wear a shirt that's a big time brand name and it brings about a problem for us and i'm going to kind of you know be on the shrink's couch here and vent about a personal problem imagine yourself in our shoes you spend a ton of time recruiting a guy build a relationship but the writing is on the wall by the end of the summer he's not a scholarship guy for us he's maybe fits more into a mid-major or maybe should go to a junior college and develop and really see what he's all about but he doesn't want to do those things and he's begging just give me an opportunity i just want to go there i'll walk on and we've invested all this time he's begging to do it but it adds to our body count and so what do you do there as a coach and what do you do there as a parent with your son if he's in love with the place that, you know, maybe flirted with him a little bit in the recruiting process, but it's not the best place for him as a player. And it really creates a mess. But I do think it all boils down to that thing that you're kind of saying kids and coaches look down on these, uh, you know, mid-majors or a program that maybe isn't on TV on football Saturday. And, and you end up seeing, I think, a lot of careers kind of end early because instead of being the best player at Spring Hill, they go try it at, University of Alabama, I'm just using an example because they're both in the same state, and, you know, they never really get any innings, and eventually they quit, or they're just kind of a role guy like I was, sitting on the bench a lot. That's an absolutely fantastic point. You know, two-point question. You're talking to parents, talking to kids. First part with parents. What can they do, what can parents do to help, or, you know, maybe not help? What can they do to assist their child through the recruiting process, from your mouth? Sure. I think step one is understanding that the player or, you know, their son is the one that's being recruited. And it, it could be their daughter, too, with other sports. So it's we're not even though we're getting the whole family. The reason we first started talking with family X is because of the player. And so they're the one that's the focal point. They're the one that's being recruited. But, yes, the whole family will make the decision and come to, uh, you know, our particular program or another one. So step two would be. Okay, it is a family decision, though. The player is the focal point, but the player is not paying for their Chick-fil-A for dinner, I bet you. They're not deciding their curfew, um, you know, so they need some guidance. And I think a parent should be a part of the, the process and not just hand it off to their son or daughter. They should be a part, but they're there to guide them, you know, just like, hey, this is what I think you should eat for dinner. Well, if you think this is absolutely gross and you don't want to eat it, then so be it. Um you know, whether that example fits or not, I don't know. But I think those are the first two major steps. And then also as a parent, I think a lot of people think recruiting is like a game of poker. And we don't want to show our hand or don't tell them this. But the way better decisions and, and way more uh, perfect matches occur in the recruiting process, in my opinion, when parents and the player are honest and open. 
and it, it just allows things to happen more fluidly and you end up finding that match because at the end of the day that's what it's all about is what's the place where everything syncs up for the program and the family together well tell me this coach in a minute minute and a half what are you looking for you're talking to a room full of ninth graders 10th graders 11th graders they want to come play at tennessee or just be college athletes what can they expect coaches like yourself to look for you know, a variety of things like their academic resume, be able to have as many positives on your resume as possible. That might be playing another sport. You're respectful of your parents. You hustle everywhere. You can run. Um, you're not a speed guy, but you're working on it. You know, all those things, you know, could be listed down, but you better have something attractive on your resume, not just a good velocity, uh, you know, off the bat or out of your hand as a pitcher. Um, and then the other thing is just somebody it's important to, you know, you can tell if it's important to a kid to be good and be competitive and be working hard at his craft and be a good teammate. And you can't fool you know, coaches that have been doing it a while. So it's got to be important to you. And if it's not, you might be wasting your time. Coach Vitello, I can't thank you enough for your time, Coach. This has been awesome and uh, appreciate you. That's Tony Vitello, head baseball coach for the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.